George Mesa, Third Eye Edify podcast. And today, I have an episode that was inspired by a news article from a popular magazine that you may all know, Popular Mechanics. And um, not the most clean history, I must admit, but they recently released an article about the Bermuda Triangle. And since all the outer space nonsense is crazier than ever, um, as far as I can remember in my lifetime, that is, of course, the Bermuda Triangle comes up. Why would they go hand in hand? I'm glad you asked. But let me ask you first, of course. Um, do you know what Cape Cañavaral means? Why don't we look into it and see exactly what kind of sinks are coming up between space launches Bermuda Triangle, and a number of other things. But I think first I'll just quickly show you a picture of the Bermuda Triangle article that I saw, Popular Mechanics, Tim Newcomb. This just came out. I'm recording this essentially a week later than this article came out in 2023. Solved it just like that. Pretty simple, actually. Uh, you know, natural causes, human error, weather. These are the reasons that the Bermuda Triangle is what it is. The Devil's Triangle, as it's also known, where ships and airplanes go to die. And uh, here's another article from this very well-regarded magazine, newspaper, whatever you want to call it. It's probably called a news magazine, just like Time. That's my guess. I actually didn't look into it. But um, the only thing I think is simple is this article. It just brushes off the history, doesn't talk about much at all, doesn't give you any insight. I'll do my best to fill in the blanks. Here's a popular mechanics from March of 1912, well over 100 years ago, and right before the Federal Reserve, as a matter of fact, right before World War I. The furnaces of the world are now burning about 2 billion tons of coal a year, 7 billion tons of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere yearly, blah, blah, blah. This effect may be considerable in a few centuries. How often do we see this idea that there's a time limit or a time frame given to us because of, you know, climate change? It's old. Not climate change, but the act of making you fear climate change and the idea that it's your fault and that things that are either out of your control or happen because you're a lazy, careless person. Everything down to having a child. Not just more than one, but any children. It's your fault for having all these kids. Climate change is your fault. Let's let's not forget that <laughs> before we move on here. But um, why don't we quickly talk about what is, what does it mean, Cape Canaveral? It actually means reed bed. A reed bed. And if I quickly remind you, I had an episode called What Time Is It? There were some reeds on the shoreline of a very famous painting that has to do with Venus. And um, they were a phallic representation at the time, at that painting. And they are phallic in nature, especially like this. They look like big old corn dogs. And I really think that right there alone, yes, there may be reeds in that area, the eastern coast of Florida. There, there may be some reeds all over the place. There may be a lot of swamps. Fine. 
but reads are phallic. And what does that have to do with rocket ship launches? What does that have to do with the moon landing that left from Cape Canaveral, the Apollo moon landing? We'll get there. Um, there's also something to mention here that the uh, Cape Kennedy and that now the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station, Space Force, right? Everything, they're all the same. Whether they have a you know small difference in actual location, they're all in that generally clamped into one thing. It's all Cape Canaveral. So if you see Cape Kennedy, they're talking about the same thing. In case you go to you know do some of the research yourself to look this up, and I suggest that you do because this is not everything. And certainly won't be at all. So now that we know Canyaveral means reed bed, what is a cape? I'm sure the first thing you thought of was a cape. And uh, similar to a cloak, by the way. The difference is, and I did look it up, of course, because I wasn't sure which one was which. The cape is shorter, just so you know. The cloak goes down, you know, maybe past your knees. And a cape might make it to your waistline. This is also a klamis in Greek and um, ancient Greek cloak. You can think of any ancient Greek or Roman statue that you can think of. They're wearing some kind of garment that is a cloak, but they don't wear it like a cloak. Cloaks are fastened to the throat, which isn't necessarily a good concept. And it yes, it's a negative thing. Things are often cloaked in secrecy, cloaked in darkness. And um, yes, some superheroes wear cloaks, but most unelected officials that are considered superheroes they would be wearing cloaks too in my opinion because they're not heroes at all um it's a sleeveless outer garment something to mention there this a cape and I, if you keep looking up definitions a cape is also the what they call the cloth that's used for bullfighting bull as in taurus which i have a small relationship to make coming up very soon now a rocket you know, landing in the center of the moon, that may be a bullseye, Aldebaran, the bullseye. But um, that's not the point I'm looking to make, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up a little later. The third definition I got for cape is that it could be the point or head, capo, cap, of land projecting into a body of water. This is what the cape is in this scenario. So there's already some interesting things that come up with the definitions, and it does relate more than I thought it would, as a matter of fact, which I think I've said every single episode of this show that I've made. <laughs> I start making relationships that I, I just didn't expect. And there's even more that I didn't expect. I, I It's almost like I willed it into existence, but the, the proof was, was already there. So, you know, I, I really wanted to mention something, too, about popular mechanics. Now that I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Um, the popular mechanics article was also accompanied by something else that happened in November of last year, where they found a huge piece of a shuttle from the Challenger launch that launched in January 28th, 1986. And, you know, many years later, many decades later, it exploded, all seven crew members were killed. A lot of sevens, nines, and elevens coming up everywhere that I was looking. Not because I was looking for it either, by the way. Um, a huge piece of that shuttle was found in the Bermuda Triangle near the end of last year, 2022. And NASA confirmed it, but it remains on the ocean floor. And very often we get this problem where 
evidence is left in a place where it can't really be examined. So very odd to me. And Popular Mechanics was founded by Henry David Windsor. King Charles III is from the House of Windsor. He was just knighted, crowned, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. And, you know, they've published a lot of different stuff over the years. Not just that article I showed at the beginning, UFO articles, um, all kinds of stuff that really is just kind of the typical hocus pocus they give you to believe in certain things. I, I think that it's not surprising that they're bringing this up now, which is obvious based on everything I said past the uh, popular mechanics thing in the beginning there. But look, they also are owned by Hearst Communications, Esquire, Cosmopolitan, A&E, 20% of ENN, uh, ESPN, Walt Disney Partnership, partners with Verizon. They're really pretty big players. So they are a huge propaganda machine, in my opinion. And this goes along with it 100%. Okay, thank you for letting me take the side note. I, I didn't want to miss that, and I forgot to leave it in my intro. So we have the Bermuda Triangle. What is it? Where is it? Let me quickly show you a map so you have a good sense of where it actually is. That dot under Miami, that is Cape Canaveral right over there somewhere. Um, it's, it's a little more north than that, but it's close. And it reaches Punta Cana, Puerto Rico. And it goes all the way up to Bermuda, essentially in the middle of nowhere, in quotes. It's closest to North Carolina, actually. And it comes back. So there's our triangle. Now, it's 500,000 square miles, but some people are actually saying, and I, I've never heard of this until I read into it, some people say it goes 1,510,000 square miles out. Miami and Puerto Rico are hit, and it's not Punta Cana. I'm reading that from the thing here. It's, it's San Juan, Puerto Rico, I'm sorry, specifically. All the way to the Irish coast, some say. I think Atlantis would be included in that triangle, wouldn't you? So that's interesting. I didn't look into that any further, but I may, because that is a very peculiar thing that, again, I'd never heard of that. Have you? Leave a comment, please. Let me know if you've heard of that. I absolutely never did. So as soon as I heard, as soon as I started thinking about this, you know, what does a triangle bring to mind? It brings to mind a lot of things, Trinity and otherwise, but it brought to mind a trident because we are dealing with an aquatic thing and there's much to talk about as far as what goes on in this triangle here but um who has the trident who governs the ocean the most popular would be poseidon of course poseidon and his trident and if we look at poseidon for a moment he has the clamis you can see that it would be a cape but he's really just wearing it how he wants and just posing for the cover of GQ, obviously. And he's got his trident, one arm up, one arm down. And I'm mentioning that because much like I will bring up Christopher Columbus a little later, and the fact that Christopher Columbus is CC, which is 33, the third letter, so is Cape Canaveral, CC. And you know what? Yes, I don't trust it just because of that alone, but there's way more to base it on. Who else does one arm up, one arm down all the time? It's Baphomet. And I've brought that up too because there's many images of Christopher Columbus, not images, but 
paintings that show him doing exactly the same thing in many different places in many different scenarios holding different things much like these gods we see in the pantheon of any pantheon <laughs> really so poseidon is also neptune hermes is also mercury and they look similar from time to time especially when you look at the specific aspects of them but they're both often depicted wearing this klamis or this cape they're often both wielding a trident as well and both are labeled as the protectors of seafaring travelers they're associated with water it's not out of the ordinary to expect that but it's the opposite when it comes to the bermuda triangle so i thought it really fit because we get inversions of everything all the time and i was i was curious to look a little further you know i was wondering i always wonder and i shouldn't because this is what i do sitting here talking to this camera lens talking to you but it's what i've always done i've always contemplated and thought a little bit more outside the box than people i was surrounded by and I'm not tooting my own horn i'm just stating facts here i I, I mull things over. I contemplate. I try to put two and two together or six and seven or whatever. I try to put the square peg in the round hole. It fits if it's smaller than the circle. <laughs> so it's not the most ridiculous thing. But um, why don't we take a look at this and just stare at it for a moment because I had mentioned the reeds and I mentioned how they're a phallic reference in ancient art. Masonic art as well. And what about this? This concept of a rocket going to the moon. Now, things have, again, inversions of all kinds of realities have been shattered lately. And some people are doing research that says, unlike what we normally think of, that the moon isn't actually male and the sun is female. And with the moon kind of losing its brightness and gaining it again, it sort of becomes flaccid and, and grows an erection again. It does seem more male, but it's hard to know because there's so much to it. We have to assume we don't know what it is. Unlike people saying they've landed on it physically, which is not only hard to believe, but I'm pretty damn positive it's impossible. Um, Take a look at the most recent, one of the most recent from good old Jeff Bezos, the Blue Origin rocket. It doesn't get more phallic than this, and it's almost a slap in the face, and it's probably meant to be. Hell yes. <laughs> As a lot of these things are. So, the Apollo landing is the first time that we sent a rocket from Cape Canaveral to the moon successfully with passengers on board that got out of the rocket and put their feet on the ground of the moon, right? It, it's, it's an insemination. It's a ritual. It's not something that physically happened, but they implanted this idea into our minds with television with radio and um apollo being the sun 
if we consider that male, then the moon is female. There's the male and the female connection right there. It's that simple. There's more to it, but that, that really is it. The rocket is phallic, yes. If the rocket is Apollo being the male sun, then the moon was the female. And it's a ritual. And 2001 Space Odyssey does fit into all of this, and we'll talk about that in a second too. But Apollo is known as God of Archery. So interestingly enough, and this is a loose connection, but you know, just stick with me here. Tell me if you think this is legit or not. I, I just thought of this as a matter of fact. I'm sure that maybe somebody's come up with this too. But archery immediately makes, makes me think of a bullseye, just like I mentioned earlier. Taurus, the bullseye, is the star Aldebaran. It's a very important star in what goes on in the year. And July 16th is Cancer. And that is when the Apollo moon landing began. It had a few days before it ended. And Tor- that's not Taurus. It's, it's not too far from Taurus. It's about, it's two signs later. But they're extremely compatible, especially considering love. So once again, there is a male-female connection to be made with the archery, with Cancer and Taurus. I thought I would mention that because I think it's pretty interesting that, you know, that could be a potential connection. Also, the year before 1969, I didn't mention that July 16th, 1969 is when the moon landing happened. The year before, the book and the movie of 2001 Space Odyssey came out and prepared us for the insemination. And that was... Um, 470 days later from the movie to the moon landing. So I wonder, I wonder if there was this, like that was the time that, that was the period of insemination. And then after that, we waited, you know, 1,677 you know, months and six weeks. Is that what I wrote down? I think so. Um, 11,741 days, right? From, now stick with me here, from the moon landing to 9-11. Because in 1968, 2001 Space Odyssey, which if you uh, heard my most recent interview with Mario Garza about AI art, my second one of them with him, we mentioned that the premise of 2001 Space Odyssey, they were avoiding going back to Earth because there was a plague. What a surprise, right? But um, 2001 is when 9-11 happens. It's no coincidence whatsoever that one of the most major events in human history that happened at the tail end of an era that suddenly flip-flopped right afterwards, the end of the 60s, it all connects to me. We have this phallic, you know, pranic handshake between the sun and the moon, Apollo and the moon. And and then, you know, however many years later, we have 2001. And the movie that gave us the imagery before we actually were supposed to have taken it in on live TV for real, we got a test run a year before to prepare us for us mentally. And then the year of the movie is the year that it all went down. It's, 
it's it's something interesting to me. It's very interesting. I think that it's worth discussing. And I'd love to discuss it even further in detail because that was something that came up after I had finished the entire episode notes. I was just like, hey, you know, I, I should really think about this too because I'm sure it's a factor. And you know what? I think it is. I really do. So there's another undeniable and provable, and it's not even being, you know, it's just information you can find out, out anywhere you'd like, is the history of Cape Canaveral, the history of rocket launches, and the history of the Bermuda Triangle. I saw something that, surprisingly, I found something that said 2,000 ships and 200 planes. It's a pretty, pretty even number there, pretty hard to think that that's real. But I'm usually seeing about 50 boats and 50 planes, 50 ships, 50 planes. That's, that's the typical number I'm finding for the incidences that are mostly completely unsolved in the Bermuda Triangle. So let's have a quick little look at this image here. This is 1950, and even though um, there was some early American suborbital, suborbital as in they reach outer space, they don't complete a full revolution, um, and it doesn't become an artificial satellite, it doesn't reach escape velocity. These kinds of flights were achieved in 56. NASA was founded two years later in 58. But this here, this here is July 24th, 1950. And... This is the first, you know, rocket launched from Cape Canaveral, as far as what I was told this image is from the internet. I didn't really get to prove that that's what this image is claiming to be, but it looks old enough, and I'm pretty positive that's what they were trying to suggest by putting this next to the article I found it in. Now, when was the Bermuda Triangle? When, when did that whole mystery begin? Apparently, Christopher Columbus mentioned it. That some activity in that area. He reported strange occurrences. I couldn't find much else. If you'll go back to my episode 6, Spelling Bee, I go into some pretty heavy detail about what I think about Christopher Columbus and some other pretty incredible things. Um, the Bermuda Triangle incidences... The first unusual disappearance was September 17th, 1950. First missile launched July 24th, 1950. Two months later, the whatever you want to call them. Maybe they can maybe we can call these conspiracy theories. <laughs> They're more like alien abduction stories. That's how I look at the Bermuda Triangle. It's like Bigfoot. It's a big, it's its own cryptid. You won't see it. You can't get proof about it. But there's all these incidences that are all, relatively speaking, unsolved. Not even the same, you know, time frame. Two months later, after the first thing Cape Canaveral does, Bermuda Triangle is now suddenly off limits because everyone's spooked out about flying around there. It might be a nasty area with weather and stuff like that popular mechanics article was suggesting, but it's pretty it's pretty nuts to me that it's just on its face, just staring at you, this information. Now, something earlier than that recorded incidents, for example, the HMS Atalanta, and it is A-T-A-L-A-N-T-A, -A -A -A, Atalanta, January 31st, 1880. 
that's much earlier than this 1950 incidence. But it wasn't the kind of thing they were using as a you know Bermuda Triangle mystery. They just waited on that. They didn't. It wasn't that that thing yet. Something that happened in 1918. Now we're getting closer. The USS Cyclops. Pay close attention to what it's being called here. 306 passengers on the ninth day. The largest non-combat loss of life in the history of the U.S. Navy. The USS Cyclops on March 4th, 1918, was carrying manganese ore, which is iron, which is represented by Mercury, Hermes, Poseidon, just like I was saying earlier, a boat full of Poseidon, (laughs) essentially. And here's something very interesting to me. The name, the USS Cyclops. Poseidon, I'm sorry, Odysseus uh, provoked Poseidon's fury by blinding his Cyclops song, Polyphemus, and naming a vessel the Cyclops, in, in other words, and traveling in, in an area where Poseidon governs the water, you're just asking for trouble. In my opinion, if you name a vessel Cyclops, because Poseidon is not happy about what happened to his Cyclops son, right? So I know it's silly, but is it? Or is this the kind of name games that they play? It's hard to say, but this is what I'm coming up with here. This is what I think, as a matter of fact. Now, let me show another picture, because I've shown this picture in previous episodes. But um, this is what typically happens when you time-lapse a photo of of a space rocket launch. Of course, they're telling you, and you can fill in the blank for me, they're simply matching the curvature of the Earth, preparing for escape velocity, as they call it. Now, you've never seen, if you watch a plane as high as you can see a plane, if you watch it travel over your head, first of all, it's very very loud, don't you think? You can hear planes from so far away, and they sound boomy. The bass is huge, and the high pitch has come out well, too. The sound travels unbelievably far. It's amazing. You will never see the plane dip down to match the curvature. You don't fly on a plane. And this is important for me because, you know, it's hard to speak about these things without feeling like I... It's my whole, I've been duped like everyone else, you know, our whole lives. We were duped. Plane, you don't see the plane dip down as it, as it gets farther and farther and farther and farther away. It doesn't do that. It simply continues down straight ahead. It just keeps going. It never, it doesn't matter how far you can see it. And uh, Jay Tolan Media has taken incredible infrared imagery from airplanes. And you can see with the cloud cover gone and what Elon Musk called um, ocular obfuscation. I forgot the word he used <laughs> when, when, he, uh, when he sent the space dude in the car. I, I don't remember. Does anyone remember? I can't think of it right now, but I know it. Occlusion. No, occlusion. Occult. He's just saying the word occult without, without saying it. Um, it doesn't happen that way. You're not in an... Think about any time you've traveled on a plane. Because I've heard the argument of, oh, well, 
there's no way that, you know, we're just circling around something because every boat would have to have its wheel turned left all time. And every airplane would always be turning left. Well, are airplanes constantly dipping down at a, at a particular rate? It just doesn't seem possible. And water bending is kind of an issue for me too. But that's not the main focus of this. The main focus of this is that Bermuda Triangle, the lore of it, the cryptid nature of it, the ghost story slash UFO alien story that it is, with all the, I've seen so many things, History Channel, Sci-Fi Channel back in the day, and before that, the show Sightings and other shows earlier, late 80s, always talking about the Bermuda Triangle, alien, you know, alien airplane sightings, traveling through wormholes, coming out in the India, you know, coming out in a completely different spot. As soon as that happened, Cape Canaveral was active. Maybe, just maybe, if they spook enough people and keep enough people out of the Bermuda Triangle, then they can send off rockets from Cape Canaveral and tell you, and then as soon as they do, of course, they cut right to the CGI, and then they show you how fast they're going, which is unreal, and how, how their trajectory is and you know their, their height above ground level, their altitude. It's just CGI immediately. Right away. They can't show you anything. They'll never show you them going through the atmosphere, that's for sure. And I don't care if they say there's a reason. I mean, we have all the technology to film whatever we want at this point. I'm sick and tired of getting miniatures of Earth from outer space, which is just unreal to me. <laughs> um, so, like with the Artemis, if anyone hasn't seen the footage from Artemis recently, we are the Artemis generation, they said. I made a video on it myself, and you can go catch it yourself. It's, I'm very good at spotting miniatures. I'm better than most people, as a matter of fact. Probably because of Godzilla. But just the nature of it, it can look good enough to fool you once. And you look at it again, you're like, oh, okay, I see. The lighting's different, the shadows are different. There are things about it that you can tell, even if it's made perfectly. It is definitely miniature work. And I am calling them out. I normally don't want to call things out on this show and just say it, but it is. It's miniatures. You're clapping and awarding miniature work. Unfortunately, that's just what it is. And um, the way those, the way that trajectory looks, it looks like it's dipping down almost immediately. And it look, and if it's heading into the ocean from Cape Canaveral, it's going right into the Bermuda Triangle. So if they, if there's enough fear to keep everyone out of that airspace and out of the ocean in that area, then they can land anything they want at any time secretly. And there could be submarines waiting for them or whatever. It could be nighttime. It could be daytime. They don't announce these things half the time. And yet there's roaring applause from this huge crowd. It's like a Bilderberg event, you know? You find out last second. So, is that really it? I'm not the first person to say this, by the way. But the first time I heard it, it it's a sensible idea. Sure, that could be it. Find a way to keep people out of this very large, it's pretty large, pretty large expansive ocean and, and airspace. Keep people, generally speaking, away from it. And no one will be there to film these things just landing 10 minutes after takeoff. 
Meanwhile, on television, you're watching it and it's going higher and higher and higher. And it finally gets into outer space. And then it goes further and further and further. This takes hours and days and weeks and months. Rather than that, they could just be landing those things minutes later and the CGI do all the rest and any pre-made footage they have. They. And it's upsetting to me. Because as a white-eyed kid, you want, you want to know, you want to be an astronaut. You want to find dinosaur bones in your backyard. And it's all just child's play. It's all just the way of the Easter Bunny. It's the way of Santa Claus. You get laughed at if you believe in Santa Claus at this point in your life. You get laughed at if you don't believe in NASA. It hurts. But hopefully videos like this and the ones that I've seen in my life before this that are saying this exact thing can open an eye or two at a time. Maybe a third eye here and there. But um, it, it's interesting how all these connections happen. And now I'm more convinced than I ever was because I never did any research on it. I've heard the things. I've seen the things about the Bermuda Triangle. I used to talk about it with my friends. My, I remember, it's just so dumb that I'm even, I didn't even think I was going to even mention this, but I remember one of my oldest friends that I had, I haven't talked to him in a very, very, very long time, but he was my neighbor growing up and we were very young and he always had a story to tell. Some weird, you know, oh, I swear it was the devil. He was in my house. You know, it's crazy stories, right? And um, something about keeping your broom under your bed so this, this thing wouldn't um, come in and stop your breathing when you were sleeping at night. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Because it was kind of popular when I was younger. I don't remember who, what it was called. If anyone knows, tell me. I'll leave a comment, please. And um, he said that, yeah, I, I heard there's this big hand that comes out of the clouds, just grabs airplanes. Because was, people were talking about this. It, people have always been talking about this. And... Um, it, again, if, if everyone's fearful of it, then the whole area is clear for landing. No one's going to be there to take footage. No one's allowed as it is anyway. Kind of like Antarctica, <laughs> I guess, which is a whole other thing that I might have to do an entire, who knows how long of an episode on that. And um, I came across one last thing that interested me about this uh, concept of keeping away from things and stuff like that. There is something called the South Atlantic Anomaly. And now look at these radiation belts, right? This has everything to do with the Van Allen belts. This is called the Bermuda Triangle of Space. It's an area that you just can't get to. You can't go there. And you have to be very careful because of the magnetic properties of these Van Allen belts. Magnetic polar shifting, right? Here's a way to see exactly what's what part of the map of our not globe is showing on this map here. It's above here. This is where it is. And again, the South Atlantic anomaly. It's the Bermuda Triangle of space. It's another reason that we can't get back to the moon yet and that we can't go to Mars, yet we were able to already do it many times with essentially what is comparatively ancient technology. And we don't have the machines to play back the tapes. And we don't have the tapes to begin with. And we taped over them. 
and we got rid of all the telemetry data. You've heard it all before if you know anything about this. And if you don't, I welcome you to the information. But they did it then. The radiation didn't affect anyone then. Why can't we do it now? I don't know. There's a lot to say. There's there's <laughs> there's more to be said, obviously. But interestingly enough, once again, I set the pencil to the paper, not pen, but pencil. I set the pencil to the paper on something I had always been curious about, and all these things just came out of nowhere. All these ideas, all these references to things, and um, all these connections. And I hope you found it interesting, because I certainly did. And I was pretty excited to record this one, because um, it's, it's something that I've always known about. So a lot of the things that I have done so far, um, I actually am relatively new to some of the information that I'm presenting. I'm making sure I research it enough to be able to speak about it. I, I've been looking at dates and stuff today, but overall... The Bermuda Triangle is as old as I am as far as people talking about it, and it's, it's older than that, but it's heating up again. They're starting to talk about it again. But then they're saying that it's simple to explain. Explain it away. There's no problems. But by letting you know that there's issues with weather and human error, now they can just blame whatever they want. They're just going to blame AI anyway, right? This is not AI-generated. I am a human being. And... I thank you, because much like I mentioned in uh, another episode that I just recorded, I hit a thousand followers on Rockfin, and in my opinion, it was fairly quick for the kind of thing that I'm doing. Thank you. If you're not already, um, um, you know, if you're not already subscribed to Rockfin, if you're just using it for free, um, I highly suggest that you get on board. Maybe subscribe through me. It would benefit me greatly. But no matter what, you get the entire channel for the monthly fee. So please do. I really think it'll it'll be a strong opponent and a strong proponent of free speech moving forward. And um, I'm also on Patreon. And I hope that you'll jump on Patreon with me because I have some interesting little side gifts to give out at either the 10 or the $15 a month level. And I'm looking forward to uh, being able to provide those for people. It's going to be pretty cool once I start interacting with more and more people like that. But if you can't do any of that, please share. And thank you so much. I'm going to have a thousand follower Rockfin exclusive episode with our good friend Spiro Jin, who I hope that all of my fans love at this point because I've had him on several times and we've talked about a lot of different things already and we've got plenty more where that came from. And as always, stay tuned. I'm just getting started, guys. Thank you so much.